Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Hi, everybody. Hey, man. Whew. I was standing over here and I was listening to y'all sing. And first of all, yeah, really good. Here's the thing, though. I know some of your story. And I know where some of you are, what you're coming through. And listen, sometimes all the faith you can muster is to say in the middle of the garbage, all my life you've been faithful, right? You may not even be able to say, I know you're going to be faithful now. You may not be standing and declaring. All you may be able to do is just go, you got me here, Lord, and you are good. I just want to say that is a declaration of faith. And we read in Romans or in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God because it's by faith that we declare that, he's, that we can come to him and that he rewards us. I just want to say, River City, well done. Well done. Thank you for singing that loudly when I know sometimes it can be hard to believe. It just makes me very happy. I'm very proud of you guys. I think you're doing a great job. Keep fighting. Keep grinding. Keep going. Uh, he is faithful. My prayer is that you'll see that uh, soon in your life. We begin with our confession, which really is another, it's a statement of faith, and it's a declaration of faith, and it's associated with that. Our confession is that we're badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. We've been in a series called A Long Walk to Freedom. Um, you know, and we've talked about all kinds of stuff about like masks, right? We hide behind masks, and we've talked about repentance, about turning around and, and facing Jesus and, and, you know, turning away from stuff that has, has crippled us or enslaved us or, or made us, you know, kept us in bondage. So as we talk a lot about freedom, though, freedom is a loaded word. It carries a lot of meaning, and it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to you that it means to me, right? And even within that, even if we do understand that, that we have the same kind of general idea of freedom, we recognize and we realize that a lot of freedoms are limited. Like, I am free to speak. I have, we have freedom of speech, which means I can even speak against the, the powers. I can say bad things about the governor if I wanted to, or bad things about, you know, the dog catcher or, or how it goes. We have the freedom of speech, but I'm not free to stand in a crowded room and yell, fire, right? Or I'm free to stand in a crowded room and yell fire, but I'm not free from the consequences of that action. I am free to pursue happiness, right? But I am not free to assault you and do physical harm to you if that's what I think would make me happy in the moment, right? I am free to eat as much as I want, but I'm not free to eat as much as I want and look like I want, Right? I'm free to travel anywhere that I want to go, but I'm not free from the costs associated with that travel, right? So if we're unclear about exactly what kind of freedom we're talking about, we can end up in the wrong place. We can end up thinking that you know, God has promised us one thing only to discover that that's not really it at all. And what that leads to is frustration. What that leads to is discouragement. What that leads to oftentimes is us going, God, you let me down. And 
the reality is we blame God for not delivering on a promise that he never promised. So in order for us to recognize and realize what kind of freedom it is that we're talking about, that's our question, like where does it go? And at this point, we introduce another word, right? A, a big, giant, important Christian lexicon word, right? We talk about being saved, right? Like you've heard about that, whether you've been in church before or not. You know, people talk about being saved, right? Well, this idea of being saved, like being rescued, means being delivered and becoming free, right? So salvation is a freedom term, right? And we find that in Acts chapter 2, right? So in Acts chapter 2, it's the day you know, Pentecost comes, there's you know, all the apostles are in a room with these tongues of fire on their head, which I want to see what that looked like. And there was wind, and they spoke in all these different languages, and were heard that everybody around from all these different countries around the world, these different languages, they understood them. And Peter preaches about Jesus, and he said, Jesus was murdered by you guys, uh, which is a heavy sermon to have to preach, right? Like, he's murdered by you guys, but... The good news is that Jesus doesn't, didn't stay murdered. He got resurrected, and that's good news for you because what he offers you now is resurrection. And all the people were like, that's really good news. What do we have to do? And Peter said, well, you've got to repent, right? Like you got to turn around. We've talked about that. Turn around. you got to change roads. And uh, you got to be baptized, right, which is like this symbol of, of freedom, of being immersed, immersed in in." the message and the person of Jesus, right? And then we read this in Acts chapter two, verse 41. It says, so, there, um, so those who received his word were baptized, and listen, and there were added that day around 3,000 souls. When we're talking about freedom in the church, we're talking about soul. Now here's the thing, soul is one of those words, and I realize this for me, like soul is one of those words that I know and I think think I know what it means until somebody asks me what it means and then I kind of go it's like this other part where is saved right so what we find is we read about this like on the ship's manifest right there how many souls are aboard but what does your soul mean so I'm going to give you a quote from a guy called Dallas Willard but I want to take this opportunity to recommend a book to you and I'm just going to acknowledge up front it's a hard book like uh it's it's uh he's a philosopher okay and I've always said like in order to be a philosopher you you should be required to get an uh, like a literature degree as well so that people can understand your inscrutable thoughts right but instead they don't they're just willy-nilly they go and they write these dense books right so I'm going to promise you this book is dense but I'm going to promise you it's worth it and it's about discipleship it's a book called Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard and he talks about um, he talks about the soul he describes it like this in the chapter on the soul he writes what is running your life at any given moment is your soul not external circumstances, not your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions and how they interact with each other and respond to surrounding events in the overall governance of your life. The whole book's like that, right? Like it's, it's, it's a lot, right? It, it's good. But man, it's worth 
wading through. Because what Dallas Willard does is he puts his finger on, on the soul and he really holds it up and he tells us, right, this, the soul, when we talk about the soul, it really is the very deepest part of us, right? And it's not an extra thing. And it's not just the things that I think, right? But it is, but, it, but that's part of it, right? And so what Dallas Willard does in his book is he kind of outlines these, these six dimensions of soul. And it begins with your thoughts, right? Your thoughts are a part of your soul. The things that I, that I, that I think, right? It's a rainy day. It's a cloudy day. That's a pizza, Whatever it is, you know, that's my, that's my friend, right? And so it's our thoughts. It is also our feelings. Now, the thing about feelings is you have never had a feeling that wasn't associated with or connected to a thought. I think that's a pizza, and I either think I'm going to eat all of it, or I'm going to eat some of it, or I shouldn't eat any of it, and that makes me feel terrible, or that makes me feel great. I, I have a thought, that's my friend Al, and it makes me feel feel good. Oh, that's great, right? So it is our thoughts, and it is our feelings, and it is our will to choose, right? The Bible talks about this as our, as our heart or, or our spirit, right? And so this is important when we think about our soul. It's not just the things that we think. It's not just the things that we think and the feelings that are associated with those things. It's part of, right, our, our choices are always yes and no, right? It really comes down to, to these binary choices, right? Like, I have, a, I have a, a feeling that says, right, okay, it's the, the sun is out. It's hot. It's Texas summer. It's hot. I feel like I want to hunker down inside in the air conditioner all day. And so I either say yes to that or I say no to that. Right? So everything is we have a choice. We think a thing and we feel a thing, and then we either say yes to that thing or we say no to that thing. And that impacts the next component, which is our body or our physical presence in space. I see pizza. Pizza makes me feel good. I say yes to all of the pizza, and my body responds accordingly. Right? I listen to I hear music. It makes me feel happy, I turn it up, or it makes me feel sad, I turn it up, and it affects my, and it, and it affects my body, right? The last part is our social context, how we operate in space, and what that means is we are either the kind of person who says yes to the instinct to forgive other people, or we are the kind of person who says no to the instinct or the calling or the command to forgive other people, and that affects our relationship. So what your soul then is all of these parts coming together and operating either well or poorly. And when we have a soul that is not operating in an integrated way, right? We call it a disintegrated soul. The biblical kind of frame and word for that is lost. A lost soul is one that's not able to find integration in their parts. A healthy soul, on the other hand, is one where all of these parts line up and pull together and work together for, for good, right? One of those lives is much easier to lead than the other one, right? So the lost soul. And listen, I, I understand we can feel... Um, we don't sometimes like the idea of, of lost soul. You can say, like, not all who wander are lost. Yeah, but sometimes, 
right? Like, like we can acknowledge that, but sometimes we're wandering because we're surging, and sometimes we're just, we don't know, like, where we're going, right? And that's part of pulling the masks off, right? It's just saying, right, like, there are parts of me that don't agree with each other. I live my life in conflict with myself, right? So Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 7. Listen, I'm going to just read a couple of verses, right? And you should go back and read this whole thing, but just prepare. Like, it's twisty and windy, and, and it's just like we feel sometimes. Listen, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin, right? So there's this idea that we've been tinkering with the, the whole time about slavery, right? And you're just like, I don't, I'm, I'm a I'm American, I'm free, I can do what I want, right? So what does it mean to be a slave, to be in bondage? Let's go down to verse 18, and it describes it a little bit. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh, right, my body, my physical space, for the desire, right, thoughts, feelings, choices, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it out. You can say, have you ever had that? Have you ever said, man, I think that's the right thing to do, right? Like, I know that I should, I should, you know, not do that thing, but then you're just doing it, and you're like, well, that's terrible. How did I, how did I end up here, right? Uh, I stand on a stage and sometimes things come out of my mouth and like as the words are like here, I just go, man, I wish that I hadn't said that, right? It's a disintegration of the parts, right? So now we go down to verse 21 and he brings this kind of together to show us a picture of like a lost, disintegrated soul. Verse 21, so I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, my thoughts and my feelings and my decisions, when I want to do... Um, what is good, evil is present with me. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize this and say that every time, like, I believe that there are, I believe in demonic forces. I believe that there are spirits of darkness, and I believe that there are spirits of evil. I believe that they are real, I believe they are active, and I believe they are present. But in context, what we're talking here, what I think Paul is talking about are these physical habits of our body, right? Like, I want to do good, but I'm not good at doing good. I'm not practiced at, at doing good. My mouth just runs off. I have this, I have this thing. So um, one of the things in my life that is a, con and, I, and I allude to it a lot, right? But that really is, um, so I have obsessive compulsive disorder, right? I'm diagnosed by OCD. It's not like a neat little cleaning trick. It's like a, it's like a hard, it's, it's like a hard thing. And what that means is I am really quick to pick up addictions, right? So I have to say, like, if I eat a jawbreaker every day for a week, I've got a $200 a month jawbreaker habit, right? And so what it means is, like, I have to be really, that's not an excuse for anything like I'm responsible for, but here's what I notice. When tension comes into my home, I find myself inexplicably standing in front of the refrigerator, right? It's just one of the places where I go. And here's where the disintegration comes, right? It's much easier to eat my feelings than to resolve them. It is much easier to take a drink. We've been talking about addiction. It's much easier to take a drink than to sit down and acknowledge I'm scared of this moment and I'm not sure it's going to turn out, but I'm going to tell my wife the truth or my kids my truth or, or, or the coworkers my truth. I'm going to tell them that and I'm going to fight through it instead of trying to escape 
from it, right? So I think there are things, there are just habits and rhythms and inertia in our body that say, I want to do the right thing, but there's this evil thing in me, this disintegrated part of me that just does what it wants to do. So if you ever felt that, I want you to realize you're in good company. The apostle Paul feels that. But I also want to say, with all the gentleness that I can muster, at no point does that become an excuse for just allowing those habits to stay. It will remain disintegrated as long as I let it, as long as it stays there. So he goes on. Um, He says in verse 23, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt that? You ever lay down in bed, and maybe you don't use those words, but you just go, why do I keep ending up here? Why do I keep doing that thing? Why do I keep saying that thing? How, how am I not different? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and you're just like, I thought I'd be better by now. I thought I'd be different. I just want you to know, like, this is the Apostle Paul. He, like, wrote most of the Bible, right? You're in good company, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. So we see this picture of the room of, of kind of the ruined soul where there's this war between my thoughts and my feelings and even my choices and my decisions and how my body acts, right? My body just says, I get an anxiety, and my body says, you gotta solve that problem, you gotta scratch that itch, you gotta figure it out, right? And so I run and I escape from it. But that bleeds over into our social context, right? Which is a part of our soul as well. Listen, in James chapter 4 and verse 1, he asks, what is the source of wars and fights among you? What makes me and Al have trouble, right? What makes me and you get at loggerheads? How do we end up like this? What's the, what's the source of wars among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? He says, you desire and do not have, right? Like, what do we desire? Well, I desire respect, I desire you to like listen to me and to do it and you didn't pay attention to me like I thought you should and you didn't say the thing that you thought I think you should and you don't give me the respect that I deserve and so I'm going to be cold to you or I'm going to strike back or I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to subtweet you or I'm going to talk about your kid and what a lousy person they are or, or whatever right? because I didn't get what I want and these things are waging war inside of us you fight and you wage war you do not have because you do not ask you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures me against you you are my enemy and I am trying to be God in this life, and my desires deserve to be filled at all times, and we end up fighting. And let me just say, living under the ruined soul is exhausting, isn't it? You get that in church a lot. You ever just feel really guilty at church? You ever just show up and you're like, I just suck at this. I do. I'm a pastor, right? I'm a preacher. I just sometimes I just show up and I because it's exhausting to know the thing that you ought to do and to just feel powerless to be able to execute it. Or sometimes, listen, you, you just realize like I don't I really don't even 
I don't want to do the right thing. I don't, I don't want to do good. We talked last week about forgiveness, and you just realize, you just go, I don't want to forgive my dad. The guy's a jerk. He's dead to me. I have no use for him, right? And that begins to manifest, and it begins to show up in our life, and it's just exhausting. What I want to say is that's what we're saved from. Jesus came to save you from a disintegrated, fractured soul where all the parts of you are never lined up. You ever try to drive your car without, with one of the spark plugs broken? It's gruesome. It's the worst thing ever because it's not firing on all cylinders, literally, and it's difficult, right? So then what are we saved for? What does the, what does the integrated soul look like? Well, we go to the psalm. Listen, Psalms 103. And again, we're making the case and the idea that there's all these parts of it, that we can't just ignore our feelings. We can't ignore those because Jesus wants to redeem those. We can't just ignore our choices because Jesus wants to redeem those. So what does Psalm 103 say? It says, my soul bless the Lord and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So the, the psalmist here is talking to his soul, saying, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord with my thoughts. Think things about God that are right and true and good and holy with my feelings. When, as I think those right thoughts, my feelings get better. As I feel those good feelings, I begin to say yes to those feelings. And all that is within me, bless the Lord. And so what that looks like here, right? So what the disintegrated soul in worship is to show, and with our body, we are singing, oh, my life, you've been faithful, right? And we're singing this, and we're just worshiping, right? But in my mind, I'm going, that person behind me sounds like a screeching cat, man. Like, they are a terrible, like, they need Jesus in their souls, right? And so our body is worshiping, but our mind is somewhere else, and, and we're remembering that person at work who said that thing to me, and so we have that anger thing in us, that anger fantasy that doesn't want to forgive, right? And we're just thinking about like, I'll get him, right? And do all that. All of that together is evidence of a disintegrated soul. And what Jesus came to call us to and lead us to is a place where we can stand and with our thoughts and our feelings and our body and our relationships, we are praising the Father. We don't sing, all my life you have been faithful, but in my head we're just going, well, not that one time. And listen, there, there's no guilt and shame in this, right? If you're standing there and you're rehashing that, here's the thing that we got to know. As long as we're drawing physical breath in this world, there will be elements of disintegration in us. We will not be fully redeemed souls until we go stand with Jesus on the other side of death in eternity, right? So there's no guilt and shame in that, but what there is 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 an importance that we acknowledge it and that we point at it and we go it is what it is right now and I can only be where I am right now but it's not supposed to be this way it is not supposed to be like that you go over a couple psalms over in psalm 116 there's a description of it right it says return to your rest O my soul for the lord has been good to you you know what I, it's an important word there is Return. Your soul was created to be at rest in Him. You were supposed to have, and listen, we're going to be restored to that, right? But what David does is calls us in the midst of a disintegrated reality and a disintegrated world. What he says is, 
soul, get back in line so that you can be at rest. Get back to that place where the thoughts that I think lead to the feelings that I need in order to worship you well. And he calls it rest. Man, when your engine and your car is humming right, you can find these finely tuned, you know, German sports car and German engineering and all that. Man, they all, they, all this power, but they purr, don't they, right? Because all the parts are working together and every piece fits and it all goes together. That is what Jesus comes to offer. And so when Jesus invites you into his way of life, this is what he asks you to do. He stands up in the middle of the temple, right? And what is the temple? The temple is representative of the religious way of life. All the laws and the rules, right? And first century Judaism was one of the most religious and difficult. Like you had to bring the right lamb and the right bull at the right time. And the priest had to say the right things. And it's just, like we said, it's just exhausting, right? And you got this deal where you just go, man, I'm bringing the goat, but I don't feel any different. I'm doing the work. But I don't feel any different. It might be for you. You just go, I, I wake up, but I just, I don't know where you are. You said I could talk to you, but I still want to do that thing. I find myself, it's like Romans 7, like I'm incapable of doing what I want to do. And in that religious context, Jesus standing in the temple with people all around, Jesus stands up and he says this, come to me, all you who are weary. Now, let me just ask, are you weary Are you burdened? Are you burned out? Have you been running the race and you're just like, I'm tired of this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And he said, I will give you rest. Now, I don't think he's just talking about a nap there. Although I will say this in all seriousness, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I mean it. Some of you are just like, amen to that. Yes, Lord, hallelujah. Because listen, our souls get out of whack, and sometimes that is manifest, often that is manifest in our bodies. And so, but what I would tell you is, if you need a daily nap for survival, there may be disintegration in your soul. And what that may mean is, you have a wrong thought about your identity, which causes you to feel like you are unapproved of, which causes you to choose to work more hours than you should, which causes your body to be exhausted all the time. And so the secret is to take a nap and then wake up and go, Lord, you didn't create me to live at the ragged edge of exhaustion all the time. Jesus, you said if I came to you, I would find rest. And what he does is he says, learn from me, right? So where does learning go? Into our head, our thoughts, which impact our feelings, which impact our decisions, right? And what he say? Learn from me for I am lowly, I am gentle, and I am humble at heart. And so what he says is stop forcing it. Stop living in this world trying to create your own reality and your own destiny. Listen, you're not God. That's the thing behind this whole series is you didn't create the cosmos that existed long before you. It'll exist long after you. And really what we're talking about is saying no to ourselves. So he says, yeah, say yes to my way. Stop trying to force it. And you know what that may mean? That may mean you not get the promotion that you think you deserve. For rest. For a soul that is ordered and integrated. Come to me, learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest 
for your souls. Sure, you'll find rest for your body, but you'll also feel the wheels stop turning all the time. You'll escape that nagging sense of shame and fear and dread in your soul. You will find goodness. It means that I will be able to think in my head, I want to be healthy, and I will be able to feel in my bones that I'm not healthy, that I'm not okay. But when my body says, you need ice cream, and I just go, well, I guess I better have ice cream, right? I will be able to say no to the things that I know. And not only that, I'll be able to want the things that I know that I should. I'll be able to love my enemies. Do you know why? Because they stop being my enemies. Because if you can't hurt me because I know who I am, I know Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully way. It says, it says, you knew all my days before one of them was numbered. When I know that, will you think that I'm a schmuck? I, I, you're probably right. And so what that means is now I'm free to just love you because your disapproval of me isn't about my identity. In fact, it doesn't really have anything to do with me at all. A person with a well-ordered soul is radically unoffendable. You can't hurt their feelings because they know that this isn't it, that this isn't what it's about. That's what Jesus came to offer, not just mental rest, not just physical rest, but soul rest. And Jesus came to offer you soul rest in his presence. See, what we, we've been kind of conditioned and programmed to believe is, I need soul rest so I can go out and do all the things that I want to do. And Jesus said, no, you come and you sit in my presence and you stay there. And we're like, oh, that's just lazy. I would stay. And he's like, Jesus was always on the move. Jesus was always in demand. There was somebody always who wanted a piece of Jesus. But Jesus found a way to keep his soul intact in the midst of a thriving, bustling, growing ministry. He had 12 of the most seemingly incompetent co-workers he's ever had he's just like okay we'll start there that's good right and he found a way to keep it all together so he could hear the father's voice so that he was able to love people who heard him so that he was able to be free that's what he wants for you and so you're out there like good i'll go and i will make myself want the right thing i will make myself feel things like it's not like that it's naturally produced in his presence it says like this in galatians right it says the fruit what does a tree have to do to produce fruit, right? You ever walk by an orange tree and the orange tree just like, uh, trying to squeeze an orange out? You know what an orange tree has to do to bear oranges? Be an orange tree. Is the fruit of the spirit, right? What the spirit produces naturally is love. The spirit produces naturally is joy. You know why it just naturally produces love? Because when the spirit is in me, when my, and I'm connected to that and I operate, right? Like, I, I just, I don't have any, I told you, I don't have any enemies. Because I, I don't work for you and you don't work for me. For the spirit is love and joy and peace. You know why we have peace? Because we're not striving against ourselves. We're not constantly having to try to figure out, is this right? Should I do this? Is I do that right? Our minds and our feelings and our thoughts and our decisions, they're just all naturally in line, guided and directed by the Spirit, where I just go, man, a ham sandwich is delicious, and it's good, and it's wonderful for everything except making me feel better in this world, right? So we have peace, patience. You know where patience comes from? Because I realize the future doesn't belong to me. The future belongs to the Father. So the only thing I have to worry about is right now what's in front of me. 
We see this in Eastern cultures all the time, right? They're much slower than us, and they, they move, and they'll get places late sometimes, right? Generally less anxiety because we realize, like, I have patience because all I have to deal with is this thing in front of me, and Father will take care of whatever comes after that, and I'll be present for that too. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. The last one is self-control, right? I believe that the fully integrated soul doesn't wrestle with temptation nearly as much as we do, Right? Because all of our parts are operating together. We recognize what good is, and we want what is good, and our body wants what is good, and our social context reinforces what is good. And this is always a continuum. This is always, right, we're all going to be in different places. But the idea what this is, not just this meeting, not just this gathering in this room, but the church, all of us, are people who have said, who have made a decision, that is good, that is what I want, that is where we're going. And so we're going to get in line with that. We're going to say yes to that. We're going to repent of all of the other things. We're going to say no to just go, I don't get my identity from sexual conquest. I don't get my identity from promotions or titles. I don't get my identity from those things. It's not just about what makes me feel good in this moment, right? Listen, friends, your feelings will lie to you every minute of the day. They will tell you that you are the most important person in the universe to everyone else. And they will tell you that if your feelings aren't elevated to the role of king in your life, that you are, that you have a mortal wound and enemy friends, feelings, they don't know anything. They are one part of you that deserves to be subjugated to the rest so that they can come fully alive. Listen, temptation disappears because we, because we know what we want is the right thing. So listen, we don't, when it's a good thing, we don't say we're tempted to do that, right? I mean, like, I've been tempted to save a lot of money. Well, that's not a temptation. Just do it, Right? A fully integrated soul firing on all cylinders is fully alive. And they are radically and absolutely free because they don't have to say no to themselves. They don't have to say no because what they want is good, what they think is good, what they feel is good, what they was right. And again, this isn't just like, oh, well, go, then I will integrate my soul today. No, no, probably not. That's, that's not how it goes, right? It's a long walk to freedom. And by long, what I mean is every day for the rest of your life. Now, that title doesn't ring as well as a long walk to freedom, but, but it's important, right, that we recognize that we don't. But listen, you can only start where you are today, right? So how does that happen? Soul freedom is found only in a growing intimacy with Jesus. This is not something that you can check off. And friend, I would say this too, right? And this may sound self-serving, and if you think it is, that's fine. It is not something that can be found in one hour a week in a room with 250 other people. It is not something that can be contained in 15 minutes a day. It is not something that you can cram for. It is not something that you can, you know, ignore and then brush up on. It must be the context for the rest of your life. Jesus describes this. It was his last night on earth, and he was hanging out with his friends, and he was trying to get them ready, and he's trying to teach them, and he's trying to get all the, the things right. And so he begins to tell them an analogy, right? And he begins to make them um, kind of understand, right? And so keep in mind Galatians 5, right, where we talk about fruit, right? And so Jesus says this in 
John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now I want you to think about this analogy, right? Like, so he's walking through the garden of Gethsemane, the, the Mount of Olives, and he walks up and there are these olive vines, right? And you can imagine Jesus just stopping. He's not in a classroom lecturing like this. He's walking and there are all these old ancient olive vines and he stops, right? And he picks up, right? And so you have these olive vines and he's right, like, I'm the vine, right? So you got the vine and then you got the branches and what's hanging off the end of the branches? Fruit, right? So he's like, I'm the vine, and we're gonna second, we're gonna find out that you're the branches, and all that fruit you want, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that's what dangles off. But he says, I'm the vine, and my father is the gardener, right? And every branch, right? So vine, branch, every branch that does not produce fruit, he removes. And I just want to say real quick, an interpreter's note that I found lots of support for. This is a really traditional translation. An equally good and maybe even better translation of removes is lifts up. You can go look. John 15, 1 lifts up, right? He lifts up, right? Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit. What that means is that God is going to be working on your life to take away the things that cause you to be disintegrated, to train the things that go, that go good, right? Everything he does is to produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, right? So what Jesus is saying is, the analogy is, if you want that Galatians 5 kind of life, listen, let's just ask this, quick thought exercise. Does anybody disagree that the world would be better if we were more objectively loving, right? If there are more peace and patience and kindness in the world, it would be better, Right? Would the world be better if we were all more self-controlled? Good, right? Yes, okay, so we, so we can acknowledge that, right? So what he's saying is God trains us for that in our soul. But that life only comes out as we remain in him, right? So here we go, verse 15, verse 4. Jesus says, remain in me. And we're talking about souls, right? Keep your thoughts. Because what does it look like? I don't see. He's where? What? Keep your thoughts on me, says. Let your feelings be centered around those thoughts that are based on me. Make your body do the things that I did. One of the things we say when we have, we're going to have a baptism right after this service, right? We say part and parcel of being a Christian is doing the things that Jesus said to do and doing the things that Jesus did. That presupposes a physical response, right? Make your body do those things, right? He says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So what that means is what Jesus is telling us is if you want to bear fruit, discover what is good and obey. Sounds simple enough, except we've already read Romans 7. We know it's not really that simple at all. But here's what that means. That means that Jesus is the vine that produces life. What that means is, as we've already said, your feelings will lead you astray. Even your really intensely felt ones will lead you astray. That thing that you understand, you just go, I don't know how God could do that. I don't know how, right? doesn't matter. Right? Amen to the alarm. It's over with time, right? <laughs> here's the thing. So here's where regular, steady, consistent Bible study is important, right? Because you need to know you think wrong about things. 
You feel poorly about things. So we read John chapter 4, right? And it says, oh, Jesus went to Samaria. He had to go out his way to Samaria. And there he saw a woman who had been married five times. Well, here's the deal. So now we start going, well, what's Samaria? Well, Jesus was a Jew, and Samaria, and Samaria was the enemy. I mean, it was like it was the enemy. It was like saying Jesus was walking through Israel, and he had to go to, to you know, he was going to, to Kuwait, or he was going to Iraq. Those two things don't get along. So the worst of the worst, and it says not only that he went to Samaria, but he saw a woman there. So now it's worse than that, like the worst part of the worst. And she'd had five husbands. This woman is terrible, right? And what we find, though, is Jesus, instead of casting judgment on this woman, what he does is he shows himself to her and says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. And so now we step back and we go, man, that person that I thought was my enemy is not really my enemy at all. Does that mean that you feel that? No, it means you probably hate them. You're like, Lord, just give them a rash. Like, like, I want that for them, right? But what happens is you begin to train your brain to go, I'm going to think differently about that person. And as we begin to think differently about that person, then our feelings align. So listen, what is true about yourself, we learned this at the men's retreat yesterday, the men's conference yesterday, what is most true about yourself is not what you think about yourself or what others think about you, but what Jesus thinks about you. And we have to begin getting our thoughts aligned with him. And that only comes through this. As you, so my deal is like, read, go home and read John 15, read it every day for a month. I promise you, you'll get something different and new all the time, and you'll understand it, but you'll begin to have different thoughts. Verse 4, or verse 5, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, he produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me, right? So what we do is we discover his goodness and obey it, then we expand his influence. You need to expand his influence in your life. One of the greatest disciplines if I could instill in you, if I could plant this into your brain and never have you doubt and go back, it is there is no divide between things that are sacred and things that are secular. Jesus is not contained in this room. He goes with you when you leave. And so part of our discipleship journey is to expand his influence into those places that we go. I am fortunate enough to have two daughters who are cheerleaders at two different schools. (laughs) Man, I love it. I'm honored to be there. But if you don't know... The world of cheer and dance and football and tennis and soccer and golf and all of those competitive stuff in high school, it is absolutely cutthroat. And what is on the line every single time those kids get into it is you're not as good as me because you're not as good as me. And so every time I see a little girl, right, and then go and she can't jump as high or she can't tumble as well or she doesn't look the same in the skirt and in the uniform, I know what's being said about that right but here's the deal I know that my daughter's worth and value is not anything to do with cheer right and so what I do my role as a cheer dad is to bring Jesus into those places and those meetings and sometimes what that means is Jason keep your mouth shut (laughs) and it's often just like that right Because I can speak a word of life to someone in that room and I begin to expand Jesus so that when I show up there, Jesus comes with me. And I begin to have an opportunity to speak into people's life, goodness and love and grace. That means I get to be, take Jesus with me when I'm at the grocery store. 
And somebody cuts me off and my ruined soul wants just like, get them, get right. But I begin to go, I begin to go, man, they must be in a hurry for some reason. So Lord, I pray that you'll give them rest. And at first it's a discipline, man. I'm just like biting my tongue so that, right? But eventually I believe I can begin to get the mind of Christ so that when I see other people, not as a threat to me, not as an obstacle to me, but as part of me, it's part of who wants Jesus, Jesus wants to meet. Verse 8, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So what happens is our soul gets in ready to spend time with Jesus. What we do is we learn to pray and then pray. So let me ask for a ex- ex- show of hands right and raise your hands real high in here. How many of you in here are experts at praying? No one. Me either, right? So we face a choice. Are we going to go get a book about reading or or go get a book about prayer or are we just going to pray? Are we going to sit down and pray? Listen, I want to read you Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for. Have you ever not known what to pray for? Good news, you're just like the Apostle Paul. But the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what that means is we listen first. Every morning at 6 o'clock when I'm right, I get up and I go for a walk around my neighborhood. And for the first 10 or 15 minutes, it looks like this. A cup of coffee dripping out of my hand, right, like that. But after I've walked a little bit while, I begin, then I just start... Finding things to be thankful. And usually I'm like thankful that eventually this walk is going to be over. And then I thank you that I have coffee in my cup. And then I say I'm grateful that I have a family to go back to. And I'm grateful that there's a home. And I'm grateful. And I begin to get thankful. And then I've memorized the 23rd Psalm. So I begin to go through that. Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And you know what's great about that? When I get anxious because I don't have enough time or enough money or enough approval, I remember the Lord is my, I, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then I pray the Lord's Prayer because I don't know how to pray. So I pray just like Jesus did. I say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I, and I think about it and I just go, that's my Father. He's relational. But he's in the heavens. He's transcendent. And I pray your kingdom come, Lord, not my kingdom your will be done, not my will. When I go to work today, Lord, it's not my will. It's not what I want. It's what, it's what you want. Give us today our daily bread and go, Lord, I have real needs that I can't meet on my own. I need you to meet. And I pray for forgiveness. And I give forgiveness. And so we can learn to pray a little bit by reading about prayer, but mostly we just need to pray and have faith that God will speak to you on your prayer. And we learn from the prayers that are unanswered as well as the ones that are answered. When Jesus, or when Paul said in Galatians 5, 1, he said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. What he meant is he set your soul free to be fully alive. And the work of integrating our soul and his is the work of a lifetime. But it's the only work that bears eternal, never-ending fruit. And that's not limited to this room. It's every moment of every day as you begin to bring Jesus into that. Trying to force your way is exhausting and it's ineffective. Instead, just be with Jesus. 
He's really good at telling you when you need to get up and move and go. And some of you today, you've been with Jesus a long time. It's time to get up and get going and start doing something. But some of you have been trying to earn his favor by doing, and you just need to sit and rest and know that he loves you, not because of what you can contribute, but just because he loves you. Every week we have a moment of reflection. The team's going to lead us in this song, and as they do, I want you to answer and wrestle with this. How is it with your soul? Where do you sense disorder, disintegration? Because the message of this song is a truth that leads us and guides us and calls us in our search for him. So as the team leads us, just open yourself up. What does God want to say to you today? What does he want to speak into your soul? And as the team leads us, I'll come back and close us. Jesus, you love us. You love our souls. Our thoughts are precious to you. Our feelings matter to you. 
when we are hurt, you care because you love us. When we are afraid, you are protective because you love us. When we are angry at injustice, you comfort us because you love us. And Father, when we sit in that presence, that love for us, when we stop trying to earn it, when we stop trying to force it, when we simply sit in your presence, all of the other stuff just kinds of fade away. As the song says, eclipsed by your glory. So I pray for those in here today who are just struggling, for those who are caught up in, in addictions, who that Romans 7 passage is there, it's their life story. I pray that you would give them freedom. I pray that they would know that you're not in a hurry and I pray that you would help them to think right thoughts about whatever the fear or the anxiety or the hurt or the pain or the unforgiveness that they're running from. I pray that they would find rest in you and I pray that they would begin to bring their minds in order under you and that you would give them freedom. I pray for those who are burdened with unforgiveness, for those whose lives have been marked by abuse or neglect, who feel ruined in their soul, I pray that you would give them peace and rest. Jesus, we want to know you. We want your love and joy and peace to flow through us. You want it to mark our lives. So Jesus, we ask that you would bring us well into your presence and let our souls be healed. Jesus, we ask these things for your glory. And in your name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.